Page exists to strengthen the role of the CCO as a business leader, and that's never been more important. For nearly two years, Page has been looking at the forces impacting enterprises, the disruption they're facing, and the transformation they're undertaking in response. In particular, we wanted to answer one fundamental question. What is the role of the CCO in enterprises that are changing everything, from who they are, to what they do, to how they do it? This episode kicks off a series that'll help answer that question. After talking with nearly 200 senior communications leaders around the world, and the most expansive global survey of CCOs we've ever done, we've developed a point of view on where the profession is headed, and what we think CCOs will need to do to become even more impactful leaders. We'll start today with a look at Paige's research, what we've learned, and what it means for us. I'm Elliot Mizrahi, and this is The New CCO. Let's start with the broader context. Well, change is the only constant, and there are always economic cycles, there are always global markets that are growing or contracting, and industries that are growing or contracting. That's John Awada. He retired from IBM last year after leading the company's brand, marketing, and communications. That's not new, but what we heard is there is a moment right now primarily driven through forces of technology, changing business. So yes, disruption. He's now at Yale University, and since his retirement, he's also served as the chair of Page Thought Leadership. But when you really examine what they meant, it was the rise of new kinds of competitors with different kinds of business models, very technology-centric, using data, using platforms changing requirements within companies, different kinds of skill sets, different types of cultures necessary, and whether the uh, company um, was in you know, one part of the world or another, cross industry, regardless of age or size of the business, we heard, these, we heard this very consistently. We wanted to start with the CEO. What's on the mind of the CEO? That's Amor Hines, the chair of Page. Along with our president, Roger Bolton, Amor and John conducted the interviews with CCOs that informed our work. And there were several things. The first was that technology is changing everything. And we've known that for quite some time, that the disruptive forces of technology are either going to disrupt your own company or they're going to disrupt an entire industry. And so how do CEOs think about that? How are they transforming their business in order to stay one step ahead of it. The disruptive forces primarily were, from the CEO perspective, the, the fact that they had to reposition the corporation, new drivers of profit, new drivers of value, requiring a change in the business model, requiring a change in how the company worked, changes in the skills of the workforce, changes in how they interacted with not just the customer, but almost all of their stakeholders. Big change there. Another one is the expectations of corporations. You call the societal expectations of the role of business in the world. Interestingly, those expectations were being felt most keenfully or forcefully, not from NGOs and special interests, but from institutional investors and from employees themselves. So uh, one can conjecture that as so-called millennials now have moved into the workforce, they have different expectations of the companies they work for. They expect their companies not only to have purpose, but to actually speak out on a whole range of societal issues 
and to use their brands and their influence to drive change in the world. What's significant about this moment, as we've learned through our work, is not only that so many companies are transforming themselves, it's that they're transforming into the same kind of company. So if you close one eye, uh, whether it was a healthcare provider, a retailer, an automaker, an energy company, an entertainment company, it seems as if they were all trying to become a different kind of business, the characteristics of which are common. And this is why the culture that CEOs want to establish within their companies or evolve into are also common. You can see these characteristics. Using data in decision making, being much more customer centric or externally focused, which is an evergreen wish of CEOs, but now using data and information to really understand that. I think that's significant because that means the CEO cannot naturally look to the traditional C-suite to drive this new level of transformation, and they're looking for that level of help. So the CCO has an opportunity here to rise to the occasion. It does require new capabilities, new skill sets, which we all describe in the report. The report is on the page website if you want to check it out. But from the outset, we knew that we didn't want to just publish a report and leave it at that. Here's Roger. One of the things that we learned from our previous work is that members like the work that we do in trying to define where the future is going, but they've asked for more help in terms of what does the path look like and how do I get myself and my team down that path, which led us to the progression path. Based on our members' experience, they told us, here's kind of the fundamental stuff we do, and then as we saw people doing more advanced work, we put it into paths, a path that you can sort of follow. And it's an experiment, it's a new effort by us to say, can we take this these insights and turn them into action and learning and give our members strong material that they can use to connect with each other on and learn from each other as they go down the journey. And so we began to come up with the idea that here's kind of the fundamental foundational basics in each of these areas. Here's what it looks like as you get more sophisticated. What Roger is talking about here are progression paths, which are more or less what they sound like. They're three-stage journeys that describe in detail how CCOs can advance the work that they're doing, from describing what we want you to know to motivating and equipping you to do what we want you to do. They start at the professional stage, which is definitional and involves messaging and core communications work, stuff that CCOs are doing every day. From there, you move into Pathfinder, a reference to wayfinding. Here, we're beginning to formalize processes, systematizing the work that we do. Paysetter is the third, and generally speaking, is aspirational for most companies today. It's here that we're measurably changing behavior, working holistically across the organization, closing gaps in the stakeholder experience, and often leveraging technology in new ways. As we conducted our interviews with CCOs, it became clear that there are four central dimensions of the role that have gained importance in the new landscape of business transformation. Three of them relate to what Page has called corporate character, basically the unique and differentiated identity of the enterprise. We found that there are three key levers of corporate character that CCOs need to address. Corporate brand, corporate culture, and societal value creation. The fourth area relates to how we engage stakeholders on those first three. We found the emergence of something that we call ComTech, which we think is the inevitable future of communications. Over the past 10 years, marketing has been transformed through its use of technology, 
The shorthand term for that has been MarTech, marketing technology. It's partially about new tools, the so-called tech stack, but it's also tooling plus teams, plus new job roles, plus new KPIs, all in. It has really turned into be a whole new part of the marketing profession. To do what? Well, to engage us not as broad demographic segments, but as individuals. You know, we are, we are declaring our segmentation every minute of the day, whether we know it or not, through our searches, through our geolocation, through cookies, through our transactions, through our loyalty programs, through our social posts. All of these things are telling uh, the world, if we choose that, and if it's allowed, who we are, what we're looking for, where we are right now. And marketing has uh, led the way in trying to figure out the tools and the techniques to do that. Communications will get there too. You know, we too want to reach stakeholders. We too want to not just message to them, but we want them to take action of some type. For the investor to invest, for the employee or potential employee to join, for the current employee to perhaps work differently. And yes, a lot of the work of communications is, is in support of, of customers and of sales activity. So Comtech is a riff off of MarTech, but it's in service of the same goal, which is to shift, this is why it's such a, a historic moment, to shift from thinking about our stakeholders as broad audiences reached mostly through intermediaries, now direct, but also not just to message in a more personalized way, but to nurture the, the person we're reaching to take some action. Comtech takes our profession beyond giving people information and influencing their perceptions and beliefs. It brings data-driven precision to the work that we do as we design and observe and optimize these journeys. Marketing calls this nurturing, moving people through a specific path of actions. The same techniques are just as applicable to communications outcomes. We go to a website. How much time do we spend there? One second. That's called an abandonment rate. That's called a bounce rate. That's data. We click through things, that's data. We put something in a shopping basket, but then don't complete the transaction, that's data. Emails go out, did we open the email? Yes, no, what time of day did we open the email? It matters, that's data. That's live, that's information coming in all the time, to what end? So we can optimize outcome. We don't want you to bounce away or to abandon the journey. We want you to stay with the journey. We want you to keep progressing. How do we know that? It isn't by running a focus group and looking at the results three weeks later. It's by looking at a dashboard that is lit up because the data comes from you know, this instrumentation. This is new for marketing. It has been new. It's new to communications colleagues. But this is the difference between information and research and, and data in the service of contact. It is new, and it'll require a rethinking of how our teams operate and the tools that they use. But eventually, this work will get even more sophisticated through technology. Imagine what happens when we layer machine learning and AI on top of ComTech. Automation that designs and conducts experiments to observe behavior and modify the approach on the fly. We see this already with systems that can manufacture thousands of variations on a single ad, each one tailored to the individual based on the many ways we can now understand them through data. So for example, Clarissa Haller at Siemens in Germany, um, driving again massive transformation, doing brand, doing culture, but really using technology. 
she described an application they created where an employee chooses um, what information to get based on their job role or interest. But thereafter, using machine learning, uh, the application learns and personalizes the information flows to the employee. And that's quite advanced. And to do that, she's working with software developers and data scientists and analytics experts. Uh, truly, truly interesting. The possibilities are everywhere. We're throwing off data constantly. Google knows where I live and where I work, not because I told them, but because their systems are smart enough to interpret my location data. I start the day here, I travel there, I spend a few hours, and then I travel back. Combine that with real-time transportation data to alert me when I need to change my route, or with weather data to remind me to bring an umbrella. That's really powerful. At the same time, conversations are all visible online. Are there common themes that could be indicating a potential issue, or employees or customers complaining about something? We can move beyond using social to be reactive, to detect issues and respond. We can start to predict issues by spotting trends. All of this is about triangulating multiple sources of different kinds of data to see patterns that we would otherwise miss. Eventually, we'll have systems doing this through machine learning and automation. But the data and the tools that we need to begin doing this are already here and within easy reach. There is, a, um, I think, a misperception that MarTech or CompTech is really expensive. Yes, there is a cost, and the more sophisticated it costs, more. But the basic tools of CompTech, of analytics, of understanding audiences, of understanding journeys, some of those tools, frankly, are free. And uh, CCOs can start to adopt those things. Some of them are provided by vendors for free. Um, to begin to uh, grow in your knowledge and skill set. Most of the companies that we spoke with are using the tools of ComTech to do a couple of basic things. They're publishing content and listening on social media. But the progression path on ComTech is about more sophisticated and systematic use of those tools. So where to begin? Here's where we get into our first progression path, starting at the professional stage. What's in that first stage? Very familiar work. Uh, it's digital content creation that is put out onto websites and social platforms to tell stories, to do messaging, to drive the corporate narrative. Um, it's also a lot of analytics to listen, to listen to conversations on social channels and platforms around issues and trends and the corporation's brand and the news. That's stage one and we find the uh, preponderance of our colleagues there. The next stage, Pathfinder, is more like MarTech where you go from driving your narrative and putting out messaging and publishing to designing journeys targeted using data and nurturing people along that journey to some action. In the case of marketing, that action is very straightforward. It's sales uh, or cross-sell or upsell or retention. But the same idea applies to every stakeholder in communications, which is what action do you want the, the target to take. As John says, if ComTech is the means by which we move stakeholders to action, corporate character is in many respects what informs the actions that we want them to take. The page model we introduced in 2012 was built around the idea of corporate character. Who are we as an organization? What are our values? What do we exist to do? and what makes what we do and how we do it competitively advantageous. The work that we do as communicators isn't just answering those questions, although that's obviously important. 
We have to make sure that the answers are translated into reality, into real action. That the behavior of the enterprise and all its people, its policies and its practices, its stances on issues, and yes, its communications, that all of it is coherently demonstrating those answers. This is the hardest work we do, but it's also the most important. Actually, this idea that the first job of the chief communication officer is to help the enterprise define its corporate character, that is, its unique differentiating identity, is more true and more important and more powerful an idea than it was even when we said it the first time. And that CEOs, in the face of massive disruption, disruptive forces, are seeking to transform their enterprises and redefine them. And that puts that idea that the chief communication officer can help the CEO redefine the enterprise and its corporate character right at the center of what they want and need now. The authenticity idea is at the heart of it. The idea that an enterprise that wishes to be trusted, that wishes to have a strong reputation, has to define who it is and who it wants to be around an admirable set of values and principles and a purpose, a reason for being that makes sense, and then, the really hard part, to actually become that. And so, the job of defining and activating corporate character is so critically important to the survival of any enterprise in the face of massive disruption and transformation. The role that a communications leader can play in transforming from merely engaging in dialogue and communicating a set of messages or stories um, to actually being a core part of the transformation of that business to creating a brand experience that is consistent across all aspects of the business and regardless of what touch points you have into that business, that that experience is consistent. Amor is touching on something here that was really pretty surprising to us. Typically when you mention brand, you tend to think of marketing. But in this environment where companies are confronting massive disruption, when their business models and value propositions are being upended, and when they need to change how they operate in really significant ways, the corporate brand becomes even more important than product brands. To be authentic, everything about the company needs to be consistent with its core identity and its value. In this way, master brand isn't just logos or colors or fonts. It's the behavior of the company. It's the experience that every stakeholder has through every touchpoint. And it turns out that there's a shift in who has responsibility for that. Many CCOs now have this responsibility. In fact, in our quantitative survey, we found that 60% of the 170 or so CCOs, they now have formal responsibility for corporate brand. Um, this is new. And the question now is, what can you do if you have uh, that responsibility? What can you do to truly drive a business change the way the CEO is needing. Corporate brand or master brand, uh, in the hands of the chief marketing officer, having been one and knowing a lot of my colleagues in marketing, they think of the brand or brand generally through one lens, and that is the lens of the customer and the prospect. But for the corporation, it's more than one stakeholder, one audience, they have investors, they have employees, past, present, future. They may have regulators. They certainly have neighbors. These stakeholders increasingly matter 
as witness, we saw just in the last few weeks, the business roundtable uh, put out a new purpose statement of the corporation, multi-stakeholder, totally agree with that. Therefore, the corporate brand or the master brand has to mean something to all of those stakeholders and it has to stand for something other than the commercial relationship it might have with its customers. I would say CMOs don't tend to think that way and CCOs tend to think about multi-stakeholders. The difference though here is what could you do if you have this uh, tool or this remit of corporate or master brand? At a minimum, and we saw this in our conversations with our colleagues who have uh, the brand responsibility, they have the visual identity system of the brand, they have the logo, they have fonts, they have color palettes, and they have the corporate narrative or the corporate story that supports that. A brand is not just what you say the company is and what you say the company uh, does uniquely, it has to be experienced. And that's where the brand really is credible and authentic. To do that, a CCO who has brand responsibility then needs to collaborate with many parts of the business so that all those touch points with customers, with employees, with investors, with other stakeholders, those touch points reflect the brand attributes or characteristics. That's exciting, but for many CCOs that represents new work. So in our progression path for brand, it starts with stage one or professional. Uh, this is very straightforward to CCOs, and that is our story, our corporate narrative, and also the visual identity of the company, such as our logos and other, other attributes to say, I recognize that company, the brand of that company. Um, the next step, though, where we go from professional to Pathfinder, is now we're beginning to express the brand through experiences. So a couple of, uh, of examples. Um, how about employees first day on the job for your company? Does that touch point, that day, that experience, reflect the brand promise? Not just that it has the logo in the right places when employees show up and they have the right security badge and so forth, but the actual experience of what the brand character represents. And so we find CCOs partnering with heads of human resources, commissioning joint teams to examine that touch point, first day on the job, for example, not through the lens of efficiency, productivity, and simplification, but through the lens of the brand promise. And invariably, there will be gaps. That's why you'll find repeatedly in the progression paths gap analysis. Gap analysis meaning uh, this is what the brand's supposed to feel like and sound like and be experienced like. Is that the reality? Probably not, not in every case. Every time there's variance, there's an opportunity to drive a level of transformation in the experience, not in the messaging, but in the experience. Brand pace setter is systemic. And you know, I think you'll find this across all of the progression paths that when you get to pace setter, these aren't moments of truth. It's systemic to how the enterprise actually behaves. That's why it's very aspirational. Often it's automated. Because if it's systemic, it, it, it just means it happens every day. And a lot of that lends itself to new kinds of tooling and new kinds of technologies. For example, in the brand, yes, we can look at moments of truth, employee first day on the job, a customer crisis, and make sure that the response or the, that moment is on brand. But at the, at the pace setter level, this is where you hear things like net promoter score, 
It sounds like another metric, but for companies that implement something like NPS, it is not just another KPI or measurement. It is something that instruments the entire company so that feedback is being generated um, all the time. I think another key aspect um, of what was on the mind of the CEO was that as they transform and change their business, do they have the right culture internally to go on that journey with them? And how do they, how do they not only respond to the voice of the employee who wants to work for a certain, certain kind of company, but how do they work towards ensuring that the culture internally is agile enough to um, make the changes that are necessary in the business. Brand and culture are, are two sides of the same coin because if your brand expresses what the company should be uh, standing for and doing uniquely, if it's really going to do that, it means the culture is aligned with that. So I think it was telling uh, that in the progression paths, uh, the CCO said they're about the same place with brand and culture, which is that they're basically evenly split between professional and pathfinder for both brand and culture. So they're going beyond messaging and storytelling and defining and communicating both for brand and culture to making it more of a reality in how the company is experienced, in the case of culture by the employee, in the case of brand by multiple stakeholders. Culture is the way we do things around here. And the do things is the important part. It's how we behave. We may have a set of values that are the things we believe in, and they're probably very nice high values, and they may be, may be on posters, they may be lots of places. But that's not your culture. In an ideal world, it influences your culture, but your culture is what you actually do and the way you behave. And so, for an enterprise that seeks to be authentically what it aspires to be, what you actually do is the key thing. And so for an enterprise that's trying to transform itself in the face of disruption, that requires culture change. People have to unlearn things that they used to do that were appropriate before and are no longer appropriate and learn how to do things differently in new ways. And changing human behavior, of course, is extraordinarily difficult and challenging, but it goes to the heart of whether or not you're going to be successful in fact building the enterprise that you seek to be. We pretty consistently heard that the top of the CEO agenda, as they're driving these transformation agenda, we heard culture. It, it is in a way the greatest impediment to their transformation strategies working out. When you look at what they mean by culture, they mean some very specific things, and again, we saw that across industry and across the world. They mean how the company works. They mean the people, the employees, the management teams, their skill sets, their mindset, their focus, their comfort using new kinds of tools. Number one uh, priority for CEOs is to change the culture of the company. What do CEOs mean by that? Do they mean, I wish my employees understood our story? No. They wish the workforce worked differently. That's behavior change. That's action. So we can think about Comtech turned inside of the company as an example of a massive stakeholder, 
And instead of messaging to gigantic populations called employees and managers, we can now begin to personalize not just the message, but personalize the journey. The journey to what? Well, not journey to purchase, journey to learn something, journey to use tools differently, journey to team differently, journey to understand the outside world differently and to act upon that, journey to innovate differently and ideate differently. Those, all those things are in the messaging set, stage one, but now they can be made actionable by using the new tools of Comtech to help people in a very personalized way act upon what they now understand. In our global survey of communications leaders, we asked what they felt was the most important attribute of a high-performance culture. The number one answer? Agility. The pace of change today is so rapid, and the expectation is that companies respond to issues and stakeholders basically in real time. Clock speed is breakneck, and companies need to change the way that they work to keep up. And so we've seen more and more companies adopting agile methodology. That's agile the noun, not the adjective. Agile is not a synonym for fast and flexible and fleet of foot. Agile, capital A, is a very specific new business method that comes out of software development. It is a prescribed method to understand what changes are necessary to configure the team differently, to make those improvements rapidly, and to iterate continuously. That's not limited software development. Because the more work you do where you're using data to understand actual behavior of the stakeholder, you'll want to do something with those insights, which is to make improvements, to make that experience, the outcomes, better and better. Agile turns into new job roles. It changes the hierarchy of companies, less hierarchical, less management-driven, more self-directed through data, more empowered teams, small teams. Uh, if you look at companies like Amazon and Spotify and the ride-sharing companies and Netflix, if you close one eye, they all look the same. The companies we spoke with don't want to abandon their incumbency advantages, but they do want to incorporate some of the aspects of these new digital and data-driven company designs into their own. And that's very interesting because it means as CCOs lead or help to lead culture transformation, they can learn from each other, not in a generic way, but in a very specific way. So the progression path for culture has to begin with, what is the change that we want to drive? What are the new behaviors, the from to, from what we are today to what we aspire to be? Otherwise, you're not doing culture. You may have you know, nice campaigns and stuff, but if you don't, haven't identified the behavior change, you, you, you can't start. Then you begin with articulating your values and the behaviors that are associated with them and communicating those. So sort of professional level is the basics of defining and communicating so that people understand kind of where we're trying to get to. At the Pathfinder level, you're now beginning to build systems and processes across the enterprise to help drive the behavior change. So it could be incentives, it's probably your performance evaluation system, it's leadership behaviors that you're modeling, so that it's not just communications, but it's actually systems and processes that help people along the journey. 
At the pace setter level, it's much more sophisticated and it's systemized and you're using digital tools such as ComTech to actually help individuals down that journey. So Pathfinder level, systems and processes, pace setter level, digital technology to help the individual down the journey of, of behavioral change, which is exactly what you're trying to achieve with culture. There's something else afoot in business today. There's a shift in how the public views the role of business in society. Greater expectations that companies have a corporate purpose, that they create value for society, not just for customers and shareholders. That they strive to become sustainable and reduce the negative impacts of their business. I was very surprised as we went around the world that that notion among investors is becoming mainstreamed. The largest pension fund in the world in Japan is, has been on that for some time. And as we went to other parts of the world, other major investors are asking for sustainability, ESG, long-term focus. And so what I had thought of as being more of a niche investment focus on sustainability or ESG is becoming mainstreamed, and that was new. The page view from the beginning has always been the multi-stakeholder view is important. So what do we mean by that? We mean that business has an opportunity and in fact an obligation and a responsibility not just to make money for shareholders but to make the world work better, to make society work better. And so as Larry Fink's letter came out, other investors are calling for sustainability or ESG investing. Employees increasingly calling for companies to do more than just make money for shareholders. It's causing CEOs to think differently about why do we exist, what is our purpose, and what contribution do we make to the world. There are three ways we think that you can think about that. Number one, your products and your services. You're creating products and services, you're selling them to customers, and you're making money for shareholders. As a result of that activity, is the world better? Arguably, in most cases, yes. If you're an automobile company, trans transportation, freedom, and mobility is a human value. That makes society work better. If you're a, a pharmaceutical company, you're helping people achieve health care. If you are in almost any business, you're creating value for society. What is that core value that you create, and how do you think about that and articulate? That's thing one. Thing two, in the process of creating your products and services, you engage in activities which may have a positive or a negative effect on society. For example, you may benefit a community by providing employment. You may provide training for employees. Those are positive benefits for society. You may also hurt the environment or use too much energy, in which case there are potentially negative impacts of your business. So the second category is how do you think about the both positive and negative aspects of your business and how do you think about making the, mitigating the negatives and accentuating the positives. This is, used to be called CSR, now it's usually called ESG, environmental, social, and governance. The third category, and this is the newest one, not the, not the most pervasive, but one that has some real potential is brands taking stands. In other words, do you speak out on societal issues? 
There is really important research that's been done by Aaron Chatterjee of Duke and uh, Michael Toffel of Harvard that shows that when CEOs speak out on social issues, it can in fact move public opinion towards solving a social problem and also can enhance the brand. Now, that's not to say that every company should turn itself into an advocacy organization on the whole range of potential policy issues, but where you have a standing and it's related to your business and a point of view, there is an opportunity to speak out in a way that actually makes the world better. So as you move from professional to pathfinder, you begin to now say, how can we make this real by evolving our business to actually fulfill the promise that we've articulated here? So if we've said that our products and services create societal value, are we actually thinking about this in our business planning process annually? Do we have ESG reporting? Do we have goals for our ESG mitigation of negatives? How do we sort of work across the business to make those things real? At the pace setter level, all of that work becomes systemized so that it's just a way that we work around here, that annually we look at our business with an eye to societal value, that we're reporting our ESG progress in integrated reporting with our financials because investors care about it more. So everything becomes systematized and part of the way we do business. You can't build an, an, a brand promise and, and fulfill it without changing behaviors. And you, as you think about your brand promise, you want to think about societal value. So they become almost different pieces of the coherent whole, which in fact is corporate character. Comtech works across all of those to help stakeholders, both internal and external, understand them and take the journey required to make them real through behavior change. One of the most important things we need to understand about this whole project is that the CCO can't own everything, right? So when we say redefining corporate character, mission, purpose, values, culture, business model, strategy, brand, the immediate reaction is, well, the CCO can't own all that. Of course not. No, that's not the idea at all. An important way to think about all of this corporate character building work is that the CCO can and should be a key catalyst in advocating for the need to change, in advocating for the definition of what the brand, the culture, and the societal value contribution will be, and in working with colleagues across the C-suite to effectuate that change. Our experience with the research was that each company varied, um, but mo most importantly, it was the opportunity for them to work in concert with other executives across the C-suite. So it was no longer necessary for comms necessarily to take the lead, but to um, work together with the chief human resources officer if it came to employee engagement, um, to work with the head of sales and marketing if it came to um, product or customer engagement, but really to look at their role more, more holistically to create a blueprint or an architecture on behalf of the corporation that would take them through the transformation necessary um, as a company or as a brand. Collaboration will be essential for the CCO to have the greatest impact. As Paige argued in 2016 in the new CCO, one of the CCO's essential roles is that of integrator. If corporate character has to be holistically reflected, the only way to do that is working hand in glove across functions that span the organization's actions and behavior.
This requires new leadership skills and capabilities, persuasion and consensus building, recruiting partners and allies, inspiring and motivating people, having difficult conversations and managing the inevitable discomfort of change. It also requires something new for most CCOs and their teams, to be not just the organization's voice, but to become its data-centric voice of reason, and the capacity to build and manage new kinds of operational systems that will allow us to do that. Most of all, it requires courage and determination to envision the future of the work that we can do and to do what it takes to make it a reality. I think it was in 1999 that Harold Burson convened a small group to think about the next century, what it means to heads of communications. And I was fortunate enough to be invited to that, although I was by any measure the youngest and most junior person in the room. And for the most part, I listened to people talk about what the new century would mean for the communications profession and the public relations profession. And uh, I think Harold said at one point in the afternoon, John, you've sat there for hours and you haven't said a single thing. Uh, what, what do you think? And um, I remember what I said. And I said, I've been sitting here thinking about how did advertising become marketing? How did the data processing director become the chief information officer? And how did the personnel manager become the head of human resources? And it isn't because they got a new title. It's because they changed and built upon what they did. They went from processing payroll and bringing people on board into managing succession and creating education and having a talent mission. They went from running computers in the basement to running mission critical processes in the company using new tools of technology. So I don't know what the future was going to hold in 1998 or 1999, but if we wanted to have a greater seat at the table, have more impact on our businesses, have more responsibility, it's not going to come from trying to talk people into appreciating what we did. It's by changing what we do. Here we are in 2019, doing the best we can to offer our colleagues not the what, but the how. We need to add to our roots of being good counselors, being good spokespeople, being people who bring a worldview, helping the company do the right thing. Never going to leave that behind. We're going to add to it now. We have to be architects. We have to be builders. We have to run operations. It's going to happen. The question is whether CCOs will do it. I'm pretty optimistic that they will. For more information about this research or to read the full white paper, please check us out at page.org. And if you're interested in the progression paths, we've built a site dedicated just to those. You can find that at paths.page.org. If you enjoyed today's episode of The New CCO, be sure to check out our latest episodes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating and a review. We want to hear what you think so that we can keep making this podcast more interesting and valuable to you. To find out more about what's happening at Page, please visit us at page.org. Special thanks go to Morning Consult and to Rivet Smart Audio, our podcast sponsors. Without their support, we wouldn't be able to bring this podcast to you. Thanks so much for listening. 
We'll see you next time on the new CCO.